Hello, and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to a new Dialogues in Dermatology special series on augmented intelligence in dermatology. Join me, Dr. Adea Adamson, and Dr. Jules Lipoff as we interview experts on topics ranging from augmented intelligence regulation and standards, education for dermatologists and patients, and clinical impact on the field. Welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. My name is Jules Lipoff. I'm an associate professor in dermatology at Temple University in Philadelphia. Today, we're privileged to have two excellent speakers with us today for the third in a dialogue series on artificial intelligence. We have with us Dr. Veronica Rotenberg and Dr. Ivy Lee, who are the co-chairs of the Augmented Intelligence Committee at the AAD. Dr. Rotenberg is an assistant professor and director of dermatology imaging informatics at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And Dr. Ivy Lee is director of digital health for California dermatology specialists. Welcome. Thank you for having us, Dr. Lipoff. Thank you. Well, today, uh, our topic is Toward Trustworthy AI. Where are we heading? So this is a third in the series, and we've covered some different territory in the other episodes. But we, in this session, we're going to talk about where we're heading with AI in healthcare and how we can build models that AI is deemed trustworthy. So why don't we start off? and try to alternate between each of you. So I'll start with you, Dr. Lee. Can you tell us, when we start with talking about trust in AI, what does that mean to you? What trust in AI means to me is, is this something that I as a provider can rely on to be safe and applicable or generalizable to my patients or patient populations? And also, is this something that will help improve my relationship, my ability to care for patients, and how well we manage their skin concerns. Dr. Rochemberg, same question. What do you think about when we talk about trust in AI? I agree with Dr. Lee. The biggest thing, there are so many technologies that we use in our day-to-day life as dermatologists. And the biggest thing is to get AI technologies to be as trusted as those in terms of being able to rely on them to make medical decisions. That means both as a dermatologist and also as a patient, like, can I take this result and reliably decide on my medical care based on what that is telling me? I think we're in a unique position. We still have our patients' trust. And I was just reviewing a recent Pew research study that came out of the end of 2022. And our patients are still overwhelmingly willing to trust health information with us, and much less so with tech companies, research institutions, and much less so with the government. And so as stewards of their trust and of their care, I think we're in this unique position to help figure out as a specialty, as a society, how do we best use this cutting edge technology to help us better care and be better physicians in the future and ideally care for a more inclusive part of the population as well. That makes a lot of sense what both of you said about how we're thinking about trust. How would you both describe 
how patients and physicians currently feel. What is their current level of trust and where do you think we're going? Why don't we start with you, Doctor? You know, I wish that I could answer your question. We actually don't super know the answer. I think that there is a lot of hype around AI technologies and especially around dermatologic diagnosis, but we do not have high quality research that tells us how patients feel about if we integrated AI into the health system in dermatology. We have some studies that suggest that dermatologists and patients might be enthusiastic about the technologies in certain circumstances that are well-defined, but I can't answer your question because we still need to learn a lot more about how patients and how dermatologists feel about these technologies. Our most recent research really has come from Dr. Carolyn Nelson and Dr. Carrie Kuverick, and that's a few years old. But remember, they showed that most patients still prefer that AI is used in an assistive or augmentative role as opposed to an autonomous role, meaning that AI is not used to make medical decisions, but AI is used to support clinical decision-making in conjunction with what the physician is deciding as well. So the patients, at least in terms of the research that was done, really still want we as dermatologists with a supervisory role. And remember that research was done in a relatively homogenous and affluent population. So we really don't have a sense of how much trust in AI exists among maybe populations that are not more commonly included in qualitative research. So communities of color or communities with different language proficiencies and digital competencies. So I think we have a lot of work to do for that. We can look at autonomous cars. And I think all of us can remember when we thought that that would replace every car on the road and we're not there yet. And that's because of the lack of, I think, trust and infrastructure that is necessary for kind of full-scale deployment of these. I would just want to add to things, which is that's a perfect example of the kind of studies that we need to do. That study happened pre-COVID. Patients have a completely different relationship with technology now than they did three years ago. They have a completely different relationship with how they want to receive their health care. And some of that is that it there's a much increased demand on convenience than there used to be. And so I think that kind of study where we ask patients, you know, how do you feel about AI? How do you want your providers to use AI? needs to be repeated. It needs to be repeated outside of a skin cancer setting. We just don't know how patients feel. And we also know that lots of AI-based technologies exist in the app store without much regulation at all. And we don't have a good sense. We haven't done good studies to know how are they even being used, much less how people feel about them. So I think it's a really open area for more understanding on our part. And I would also wanted to add about the autonomous cars. I think that's a really interesting comparison because one of the things that we know is that once these technologies are deployed and studied in their intended use setting, we learn a lot more information than we do just in the lab. And so I think going to some of the questions around trust, 
is we do need to know a little bit more about how these technologies actually, when they're deployed in their intended use setting, before we can learn to develop our trust or calibrate how much we should trust the technologies. Dr. Rodenberg brings up a wonderful concept in general of transparency, right? And that's so critical, I think, to build trust among providers will use this technology, but also for our patients in terms of their understanding and how we can best use this technology. So thinking about what was this AI tool designed for? What task was it designed for? Is that what I'm actually using it for in the real world? How transparent is the data handling, right? Are we engaging in exploitive data processes? And does the model that reports wonderful internal validation. So model accuracy, kind of areas under the curve, those metrics, does that generalize to the real world and clinical settings that may differ, right, from the settings and the the training data that it was built upon? So I think having that transparency of knowing, number one, what questions should we be asking to determine whether this is a tool that'll be helpful or safe or reliable to use And will it actually be accurate and safe and fair to use on my patients? Those are all things that we are so lucky that we have a cohort of leaders within our specialty that are thinking about this and creating resources to address these. So it's interesting in my normal life, I don't usually think of myself interacting with AI in a lot of ways, but recently... My daughter had a homework math problem and we thought we figured out the answers and we decided to try chat GPT to see if it would figure out the homework problem. And it's amazing some of the stuff that chat GPT has done when you're thinking about AI and such, like especially generating like letters for insurance companies and things like that. But what was a little disturbing is that it didn't figure out the problem correctly and it started making up stuff. It added numbers that were not available in the problem. It kind of lied to us when we had to, I had to call it out and apologize. So it was really interesting. It, was, it showed the excitement and the promise of what it could be. And yet also the flaws were very apparent. So to me, that sort of encapsulated a lot of how I'm feeling about AI. Like it's so exciting, but huh. Right. But Dr. Lipoff, you were still the dad in the loop, correct? And so you can't be replaced with ChatGPT. I think it shows how important it is for you as the supervisor of homework in that case. But I'll say my daughter, almost nine years old, is obsessed with it. And like now we listen to podcasts about it. But anyway, I wanted to bring that up as an example of that AI is not monolithic, right? We're talking about it as if it's like one thing in some ways. But obviously, there's all sorts of different models. I think traditionally in dermatology, especially after that nature paper, there's a lot of focus on evaluating images of moles for melanoma risk, right? But, you know, I've done research related to natural language processing myself, and there's other different models of all different sorts. And certainly the chat GPT is this whole other thing. Where do you think, what models of AI do you think will have the greatest impact moving forward? Or are there specific ones that are not a focus of our dialogue that we should be paying attention to? I will jump in, even though I think it was absolutely not my turn, which is to say, I think this is such a good question. My research is around melanoma detection, and I think that's a very hot topic. 
but there is so much use for this kind of technology, even outside of pure diagnosis. We've seen very cool things around longitudinal monitoring, which is something that is very difficult to do quantitatively and well by an in-person dermatologist, including, for example, you know, quantitative scoring for psoriasis, for vitiligo, for other types of inflammatory diseases, for the purposes of clinical trial or therapeutic monitoring, counting of comedones for acne. There was a session at last year's AED that displayed that kind of technology. And I think that even beyond image-based technologies, we also have things that are being deployed in all sorts of other healthcare domains like improving triage for appointments, analyzing patient healthcare records to see who might have an increased risk for disease A, B, or C, improving no-show rates, so providing extra support for patients that frequently aren't able to come in. These are just some examples. I am such a technology optimist. I think that there's so much potential here to make our lives easier and better as dermatologists to provide better care to our patients. One other example, and then I promise I will stop talking, is the EMR is becoming such a bulky thing to try and figure out what information you need, even trying to get like the most recent pregnancy test for a patient who you're monitoring for isotretinoin has become like multiple different mouse clicks in order to find it. You know, if there's like a chat GPT, but reliable, then you might imagine a situation in which you just have an EMR that's just a search bar and you type in what you need and it just gives it to you. You know, the most recent assessment of how their melanoma is doing, what their current anti-cancer therapy, these things are not that easy to find in an EMR. And you can imagine making your life better by finding them. And I approach this from a different perspective. You know, I am not a cutting edge researcher like Dr. Rodenberg. I'm just grateful that she lets me sit at the cool kids table. I work mostly in implementation and how do we apply these cutting edge technologies? And usually I work with populations that are lagging in outcomes. So how do we apply this to the lagging edge? And where I have used ChatGPT or the doc version of ChatGPT is really to alleviate the administrative burden, the parts of my job that I don't enjoy and that suck away my humanity. So I use it a lot in terms of preparing the, the patients for their visit, schedule optimization, prior authorizations, billing and documentation, as well as post-care and follow-up education. And with all of that, even using things like ChatGPT or the Doximity, you know, physician version of it, it has helped decrease the time that we usually spend on this. And it's still necessary that I'm the clinician in the loop to supervise and to proofread because there's still an error or hallucination rate of about 20 to 30% at best, but it really helps 
save me a lot of time in terms of the second shift that we all do for patient-related care processes. So I really appreciate that. It helps me generate a template for letters of recommendation for medical students and research fellows that I'm working with. And I oftentimes have that meta moment while I'm using this of thinking, okay, how is this impacting me in terms of my human and machine interaction? Am I a better doctor because of it? Am I actually delivering better care? And those are the things that I often think about is, does this allow me to be more human or more high touch by using this technology? I wanted to make actually a similar point that you just made after hearing Dr. Rutenberg. I've read some stuff written by uh, Eric Topol, who is certainly outspoken about a lot of these integration of technology. And he was trying to address this concern that with more AI would be less human, more robotic in the care of patients. And he was making the argument that it will make us more human because we're spending so much time on tasks that could be automated or done by models or AI things. And so if we are able to offload some of these tasks that burden us, that are burning us out as physicians, if we can offload those into these other programs, then we can focus more of our attention on the uniquely human traits of being a doctor, right? And that's what we love about being a doctor too. So I think that's going to really help us deliver better care and probably have more satisfying careers. So moving past talking about the different ways that AI can impact, I guess, care directly. What do you think the biggest misconceptions are that dermatologists may have about AI and trustworthiness right now? Well, I think it's a little bit of two things. The first thing is there's a lot of nerves around some of the AI technologies that are doing diagnosis, which is a job that typically dermatologists are comfortable doing. And I think the flip side of that is that these technologies are mostly being studied in non-clinical settings and they have amazing results on paper. So they there will be an article that says, you know, 99% accurate for X. And that is a completely true statement based on what experiments have been performed and what the setting was in which these experiments have been done. But the way that that gets sent out to our dermatology community is in a very anxiety provoking way. And I certainly have felt that myself as someone who specializes in melanoma detection. And I think that improving the ability of dermatologists to understand what kind of AI research is doing and how that might actually impact our practice and what kinds of studies are really needed in order to jump that gap will really help all of that. I think there's a huge distance between a research paper and a technology that will actually be deployed in a way that could potentially benefit us. There's a huge role for dermatologists to influence that gap, what happens, what studies happen, what patients could most benefit from this type of technology. And I think Dr. Lee has touched on this, you know, there's a lot of patients that we don't get to see for a million reasons, many of them societal, geographical, et cetera. How can we deploy technologies in those settings? or other settings of great need, again, this is the role that we have in 
really taking these technologies forward and improving our own trust and our own understanding of what's actually happening. So that's what I would say. I wonder what you would And I think in addition to that existential threat, right, of are we going to be replaced, there's another misconception that we don't have a larger role to play in the development of this. And I think we've, Dr. Rodenberg and I have had this privilege of working with the leadership in the academy, but also with industry and every industry partner we've interacted with have always been very open to communication and collaboration because I do think in order for this to make the greatest impact for our patients and for the future of our profession and mitigate burnout, we really need to collaborate, right? It is this multiple and diverse stakeholder process and community that we need to build and we need to build this in order to expand our capacity to care for patients and to care for them in a better way. So do you think, I mean, these are some misconceptions about will AI replace us and that sort of thing that you're touching on. Do you think there are any legitimate concerns uh, as far as patient safety that we should be concerned about and that we should be spending more attention on? Absolutely. I think in dermatology, we have a unique facet we have to think about in terms of direct-to-consumer, direct-to-patient applications. And many of the topics we're talking about in terms of safety, reliability, generalizability, data, privacy, and security, those are not always at the forefront of our patient's mind. And that may even differ among different demographic you know, subsets of the population. And that's where it's really important for us as people who are enthused and excited about augmented intelligence to fill that knowledge gap for our patients, to really empower them, to help them discern what is a high quality tool versus a low quality tool, because the regulation is not caught up as well. I would say, I think that's an amazing question. There are two major things that we all spend a lot of time thinking about, and I want everyone listening to the podcast to also think about, which is, first of all, uh, better interrogation of technology. So that means how do we know whether this is going to work or cause harm? And we have published some papers on this already, but it's really just the beginning of this. We need a much better formal way to understand what data has been used to train algorithms, not only, you know, what diagnostic settings, but also related to race, skin tone, geographic distribution. We know already that all of those things will impact algorithm performance. Even what camera you use and what lighting conditions will impact algorithm performance. And these kinds of things are not habitually reported when technologies are being supported for approvals or for deployment in the app store. The flip side of this, and I've also mentioned it, is that all the interrogation of the underlying training data is critical, but it will not tell us how it will perform in your clinic. So as you are thinking about where this is going to be used. And and I think that all of us are going to be faced with a technology that is approved and trying to figure out whether or not it would 
benefit us and our patients in our particular practice setting. And figuring that out is going to be hard. And it's going to require probably testing in that setting to figure out if that's really going to be beneficial. And we don't have the infrastructure to do that right now in the way that we take pictures, in the way that we store them, in the way that we label them. That's just for diagnostic settings. But even other types of data are not structured to be AI ready or to be able to tell us quickly, you know, this worked or this didn't work or this was right or this was wrong. I mean, even those definitions are very hard to come up with. So I think if I'm going to think about what we need to think about as a specialty over the next few years. It's what underlying training information do we need to increase trust and to increase our understanding that this is not going to cause harm due to underlying biases and what infrastructure do we need to build so that we can more quickly understand whether something in a particular intended use setting will work well or the way it was intended or in a beneficial way. I'm grateful for the Academy for really supporting a lot of the work of our committee and trying to address these concerns and these gaps. We are trying to create more educational resources. And Dr. Lipoff, you're a part of this now because you're helping create this and get the messaging out in terms of what we need to know about gaps in terms of performance, things we need to think about for application of these technologies and how do we best equip and educate our patients in thinking about these technologies. And so we're creating those educational resources, not only for dermatologists, but also for patients as they navigate this new world where digital health is so accessible, but also misinformation, right, is accessible as well. And then the Academy has also been really supportive in, in terms of exploring how do we create those benchmarks or benchmark platforms? And how do we better redesign our data infrastructure so that we can support more local validation of these tools so that it applies to your practice setting and your patient population and ideally make the most use of this and cross that chasm from those papers that report the in silico performance to actually real world performance and real world impact? A main theme I'm hearing in both of your answers is about transparency. It's just really being transparent about where is the data coming from, not only where it comes from, but when we see it perform, how likely is that to correspond to real world application and to have high quality standards throughout the process. And that seems like a real challenge, but it looks like we're trying to get there. You said that there was some collaboration with industry that reached out, but do you feel like doctors and patients are engaged with that process right now? And what are the ways that they can play a role in integrating these technologies into health systems and workflows? Hopefully with the resources we're creating, it'll be easier for dermatologists at least to find these resources, to learn more about data science and about artificial intelligence in general and the main concerns that we're all discussing on this podcast. And I think there are multiple ways to get involved. We're trying to build a network, a community of Durham tech enthusiasts within the academy, which both of you are leaders within. And this is a very inclusive group. And they are trying to develop that pipeline for individuals who are interested in this as a specific niche of interest and support that throughout and 
across different practice settings, not only in academia, but also in industry and in community practice. One thing I would say, I think that a common misconception about this technology is that we're going to uh, sort of rubber stamp it or say it's okay at the end. And I think that a thing that I want to emphasize to the two of you, but also to this audience, is that patients and dermatologists and ethicists and a very diverse group of people need to be involved in the development of this technology from the very beginning. I mean, there are design decisions that you can make even as you're curating your data set, like even when you're recruiting your first patient that you're going to use for training that are going to impact the potential biases and potential harms that an algorithm may make in the long term. And so I think a lot of people are being approached by almost market-ready technology. We have this tool and can you help us evaluate it? Can you give us some design help about how the AI feedback is going to look? And I would just suggest really starting from scratch or starting from the beginning, even when these types of approaches are made to say, okay, so how did you select this patient population? Was it a random sample? Was it a convenience sample? You know, very simple decisions get made at the beginning, often due to convenience that can cause major problems down the line. And so I think that's such a good question, Dr. Lipoff. And I think that we all need to really think about engaging at a very early stage in technology development to try to reduce the downstream potential harms and increase the potential benefits. And that co-design process is so great. So I I was just going to say a call out to any industry folks that are listening in You heard it here. Don't use dermatologists and doctors as an afterthought to rubber stamp your technology. Integrate it from the get-go so we can make sure you're not screwing it up. You heard it here. All right. So I really appreciate your time. I want to start winding us down and I appreciate in the middle of both of your very busy days. Looking forward and sort of summing up, how is your process thinking about trustworthy AI and the future integration evolved over time? And what take-home messages from this podcast do you really want to leave our listeners with? So I think I am a researcher. I started my career in biomedical engineering and dermatology residency. And I thought, this is so personal, maybe too personal for dialogues, that I was just going to be like alone in the lab for the rest of my life. And it turns out when you study a technology like this, that is so in some ways uh, widespread and so accessible to dermatology, you have to become an expert in all sorts of other things like regulatory science and the psychology of how people interact with technology. And I think in some ways, peeling back the curtain has been so great because it tells us how much more we have to do. I think there's this idea that the technology is here today. And that is true. You know, many technologies are very close to development and deployment, but also we know how much more we need to do to better understand where we are, where these technologies are, where the regulatory 
bodies need to be, what kind of data audits need to happen. And so I feel like the more I learn, the more I think, oh, like we also need to know this other thing and we also need to research this other thing. And so it's exciting, but there's a lot more that we need to learn about these technologies over the next few years. I think my perspective has really evolved throughout this, I think, recent history and also the pandemic, seeing our experience and learning from telehealth and the greater demand for human and in-person interaction, despite the advances in technology and the adoption of that technology, that patients still want to see us in person and actually crave that because of that humanity, that compassion, and the trust that they have for us. And helping them navigate this brave new world that we're all living in, where AI is used in different aspects of our lives, and also now increasingly in healthcare, I think it's such a privilege, right? And how do we build those bridges to different beneficiaries and co-designers of this technology? And how do we thrive in those intersections, like Dr. Rodenberg was talking about, so that we can bring those perspectives early on in that product lifecycle and that development and then use that to fine tune it to improve that patient journey, improve our jobs, right, and careers in terms of caring for patients. You can see that there are huge benefits and huge potential synergies with what we're doing already, right? Telehealth, registry reporting, and can we be more proactive and personalized in our recommendations? I think augmented intelligence can help us do that, but we need to work with our engineering and data science colleagues, we need to work with payers to think about how do we best integrate this so it's easy to use, that it becomes seamless in our daily experience, in our patient's daily experience, and not a standalone, another additional charge, right, on the medical billing and patient journey. We want to make sure that this is done right, because otherwise, we will lose that opportunity and we'll lose our patient's trust. That was great. I think when I was listening to both of you just talking, it seems like any good research that asks good research question, the answer is always more good research questions. It makes me think about what it's like to talk to older Jewish relatives. You answer questions with just more questions, right? So we do have a lot of questions. That means we're asking good questions because we're discovering new things and new territory. Who would have thought 10, 20 years ago that we would be having some of these kind of conversations. Uh, so it is very exciting. Well, it does seem like AI will play some role. We're just going to have to see how it fits and what works. I want to thank both of you. Thanks to Dr. Rotenberg and Dr. Lee for sharing your expertise with us today and educating me and all of our listeners. So thank you everyone for listening. This has been Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Jules Lipoff. Thank you so much. We hope you have enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. New podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcasts. We hope you enjoy these new options for listening to dialogues and the increasing content for your listening pleasure. Thank you.